Section number 19 of A Fair Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Fair Mystery by Bertha M. Clay. Chapter 19. They Tell Me, Child, That You Are Really Promised in Marriage. It was a busy morning at Downsbury Castle. Several visitors had called, and when Mark, with his beautiful protégé, arrived, they were shown into the library to await the Duke's leisure. It was evident to Mark that they had been expected, for a tempting lunch was served to them. A lunch, the servants called it. To Mark and Doris it seemed a most sumptuous dinner. Mark could not help watching the girl. He himself was strange, embarrassed, confused. The silver fork was heavy. The napkin confused him. She sat with the easy grace and dignity of a young queen, sipping the rosy wine from the richly cut glass, and looking quite at her ease over it. "'You seem quite at home, Doris,' said Mark, enviously. "'I feel so,' she replied. I could live happily enough here. It is so easy to be good when one is rich. He looked at her in dull wonder, as he generally did when she puzzled him. But Doris, he said, that is just exactly the opposite of what the Bible says. Don't you remember the text about the rich man, the camel, and the needle's eye? I remember it, she replied. Those who have no money long for it, and some desire it so ardently that they will do anything to win it. The rich have no need to be envious or jealous. He was not clever enough to argue with her. The only thing he could do was to tell her she was wrong, and that she should not talk that way. Before there was time to reply, the door opened and the duke came in. He spoke kindly, saying that the Duchess was engaged with some visitors, but that Lady Estelle Herford would see Miss Brace, and would be pleased to show her the pictures and the flowers. Mark looked astounded at the condescension. Even the Duke himself felt some little surprise when she had made the offer. "'You had better let the housekeeper take her, my dear,' he had said. "'Very well, Papa,' she replied carelessly. But after a few minutes she added, I think it will amuse me to see this young girl, Papa. I will show her some of the pictures and my flowers. She would be more comfortable with the housekeeper, he said, but do as you wish, my dear. When he saw the beautiful, refined, high-bred young girl seated at the table, he changed his mind. It did not seem so certain that she would be more comfortable with the housekeeper. He looked in wonder at her perfect face and graceful figure. "'She looks like a young princess,' he said to himself, and his manner almost involuntarily changed. Something of the chivalrous respect came into it. And Doris, so marvelously quick, detected the change. She saw that he admired her, and then she felt quite at her ease. He said something to Mark about the agent who was waiting to see him. Then the door opened, and Lady Estelle entered. As her eyes fell upon the young girl, she started. 
and her face grew deadly pale, so pale that the duke stepped hastily forward and cried out, Are you ill, Estelle? No, she replied. The day is warm, and warm weather never suits me. Good morning, Mr. Brace. Is this your daughter? This is my daughter, my lady, he replied. Lady Estelle Herford, going nearer to her, looked into the beautiful, radiant face. Doris returned the glance, and the two remained for one minute, looking, for the second time in their lives, steadily at each other. "'I'm glad to see you,' said Lady Estelle kindly. "'I remember having seen you when you were a child,' Doris bowed. There was perfect ease, perfect grace in her manner, and the Duke, looking at her, was fairly puzzled. That high-bred, perfect repose, that fascinating charm of manner, surprised him. He looked at his daughter to see if she shared his surprise, and felt anxious about her when he saw that her face was still deadly pale. Then he asked Mark to go and see the agent. Lady Estelle, with her rigid lips, smiled at Doris. "'I will take charge of you,' she said. "'Come with me.' They left the room together. "'We will go to the boudoir first, she said. "'There are some very fine paintings. You will like to see them.' When they reached the boudoir, Lady Estelle seemed to forget why they had gone there. She sat down on the couch and placed Doris by her side. I saw you once when you were quite a little child, she said. How you have altered! How tall you have grown! She laid her hands on the shining waves of hair. What beautiful hair you have, she continued, and her fingers lingered caressingly on it. They tell me, child, that you are really promised in marriage. Is it true? There was no flush on that lovely young face, no sweet tender coyness in the beautiful eyes. They were raised quite calmingly to the questioning face. Yes, she replied, it is quite true. A look quite indescribable came over Lady Estelle, something yearning, wistful. Then she slowly added, A love story always interests me. Will you tell me yours? I have none, was the quick reply. Earl Moray asked me to marry him, and I said yes. But you love him? asked Lady Estelle. Yes, I love him. At least I suppose so. I do not know what love is, but I imagine I love him. You do not know what love is? said Lady Estelle in a tone of suppressed vehemence. I will tell you. It's a fire that burns and pains, burns and pains. It is a torrent that destroys everything in its way. It is a hurricane that sweeps over every obstacle. It is a tempest in which the ship is forever and ever tossed. It is the highest bliss, the deepest misery. Oh, child, pray, Pray that you may never know what love is. Who could have recognized the quiet, graceful, 
languid Lady Estelle. Her face shone like flame, and her eyes flashed fire. The calm, proud repose was all gone. Doris looked at her in wonder. There must be many kinds of love. I know nothing of that which you describe, and Earl loves me quite differently. How does he love you? asked Lady Estelle. He's always singing to me, and these are his favorite lines. Thou art my life, my soul, my heart, the very eyes of me. Thou hast command of every part to live and die for thee. And that just expresses Earl's love. The lady's eyes were riveted on the glorious face. The rich, sweet voice had given such force and effect to the words. Then she said anxiously, You will be very happy in your new life, I hope even should I never see you again. I hope you will be happy. I hope so, replied Doris in a dubious voice. Then her face brightened as she looked round the magnificent room. I should be happy enough here, she said. This is what my soul loves best. This is better than love. The lady drew back from the girl as though she had been struck. Faithless and debonair, she murmured. Doris looked inquiringly at her. This is what you love best, she said. You mean luxury and magnificence? Yes, I mean that it is ten thousand times better than love. But, said Lady Estelle, this is a strange doctrine for one so young as you. I am young, but I know something of love, said Doris. I know that money can purchase everything, can do everything, influence everything. But, said Lady Estelle, drawing still further from her, you would not surely tell me that of all the gifts of this world, you value money most? I think I do, said Doris, with a frank smile. This is strange in one so young, said Lady Estelle. I am so sorry. Then she rose, saying coldly, You will like to see the pictures. You think it strange that I should speak to you in this fashion. As I told you before, a love story interests me. I am sorry that you have none. The change was soon perceived by Doris, and just as quickly understood. I do not think, she said gently, that you have quite understood me. I do not love money, that is, the actual gold. It is the pleasures that money can purchase which seem to me so enviable that I long so urgently for. Lady Estelle smiled. I see. I understand. You did not express just what you meant. That is a different thing. There seems to me something hateful in the love of money. You so long for pleasure, my poor child. You little know how soon it would tire you. Indeed, it never would, she replied eagerly. I should like, oh, how much I should like, to live always in rooms, beautiful as these, to wear shining jewels, rich silks, costly laces. I do not 
and never have liked my own home in some strange way it never seems to belong to me nor i to it lady estelle drew near to her again you do not like it poor child she said that is very sad yet they are very kind to you yes they are kind to me i cannot explain what i mean i never seem to think as they think or do as they do i am not good either after their fashion of being good what is your idea of being good asked lady estelle pleasing myself amusing myself making myself happy it is comfortable philosophy at least what is he like this earl moray whom your father calls poet and gentleman asked lady estelle doris smiled she did not blush nor did her eyes droop there was no shyness nor timidity he is fair she replied and he has a noble head crowned with clustering hair his face is spiritual and tender and his mouth is beautiful as a woman's that's a good description i can almost see him you love him or you could not describe him so he will be a great man in the future replied the girl then she started at finding on what familiar terms she was with this daughter of a mighty duke they were sitting side by side and lady estelle again had taken the shining hair in her hand doris's hat had become unfastened and she held it with careless grace it even surprised herself to find out she was as much at home and at her ease with lady estelle herford as she was with mattie where shall you live after you are married asked lady estelle gently at lindenholm for some little time but earl has promised me that i shall go to london i live only in that hope why do you wish so ardently for london because people know what life means there they have balls parties fetes, music opera theatres and i long for a life of pleasure how much you will have to suffer said lady estelle unconsciously why asked doris in surprise because you expect so much and the world has so little to give that is why but come we're forgetting the pictures in the long gallery they were joined by the duke curiosity to again see the beautiful face had brought him there doris was looking at a portrait that pleased her very much and her beautiful profile was seen to perfection the duke started as his eyes fell upon it he went up to his daughter estelle he said in a low voice who is it that young girl resembles someone we know someone we know well look at the curve of the lip the straight clear brow i did not see any likeness she replied with white trembling lips none at all but oh papa i am so tired i am not so well as usual to-day i seem to have no strength she sat on one of the crimson seats and the duke forgot all about their visitor in his anxiety for her 
I will send these people home, he said. But she interrupted him. Not just yet, Papa. It will be such a pleasure to me to show that pretty young girl my flowers. End of section 19